Hello, this is Melissa Hale Spencer, the editor of the Altamont Enterprise, and across the table from me this morning is Ed Aykroyd. And our readers are very familiar with Ed Aykroyd. I went through, just to print out a few token articles, and I've got a sheaf in my hand. Ed is a tireless, tireless advocate. For veterans, we have done stories on him getting a special plaque made for the local young men who died in service and so couldn't be members of the VFW. We have stories on him advocating for a tax break in the town of Knox where he lives for veterans and came through with a full top amount that could be given. We have stories of him advocating for the same thing at the Burn Knox Westerlo schools. We have pictures of him saluting in various ceremonies and just really being an all-round bulldog of an advocate for veterans. So welcome, Ed. Thank you. Um, I'd just like to start by hearing a little about yourself, because I really don't know much about you outside of the things I've just mentioned. Can you tell me a little about your family growing up? Was it a family with a military history? Uh, no, not at all. Um, the closest I had to anybody who was in the military would be an uncle of mine who was in World War II, and uh, that was it. So what made you... You served yourself. Tell us about your own military service and how it, how it is that you came to do that. Uh, to be quite honest with you, I became bored in high school. And where were you in high school? In Burnox. Burn- okay. <laughs> how old were you when you became bored in high school? 17. Okay. And I uh, decided that I was going to leave school and join the military, which I did. Oh, wow. Um, went in at 17, uh, went for uh, training in uh, Fort Dix and then Aberdeen, Maryland, and then Fort Knox, Kentucky. Uh, I was then uh, assigned to uh, Germany, which I got to travel around Europe for a year and a half and loved it. So you and got the see the world part. Of the, exactly. The, yeah. So exactly. tell us a little about those travels. Had you ever been out of the country before? Uh, no, I had not. Had not. So, um, Hilltown boy, you're really a boy at 17. That yeah, was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, tell us what you saw and what what it meant to you. Um, I got to travel along the the Rhine River. I got to uh, see uh, Heidelberg. There. They're castles, I, right? Yes, all castles all over <laughs> the place. Uh, the interesting thing uh, about the castles is that they all had their own wine cellars, which oh, wow. was quite enjoyable. So you got to sample some of this wine? Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Um, uh, in Europe, I was in a transportation outfit, and we got to uh, travel to uh, the ports up in Belgium and Holland. Uh, that was quite interesting. Yeah, so what uh, was that like? Um, a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, just, just seeing the, the sights that you only see in pictures and in movies right. and, and stuff like sure. that. So you got to see them personally. And did you get to intersect with any of the locals, or are you pretty much with your army buddies? No, you were you were we were out in the open with mm-hmm. with uh, with the locals. Um, normally, when you're uh, uh, in a different country for a while, you uh, you understand the language, you get to learn the language. So I could speak, I got to speak German, kinda, really, but I could understand it fairly well. Um, 
So you really, order- you completed your education in a much more interesting way than most high school students. Oh, definitely students. so. Yeah. Definitely so. So. So what happened after that? After that, we were, uh, <laughs> uh, there was um, a time where it was, it was part of the draft uh, period, and mm-hmm. they were trying to cut back on troops being newly assigned to Vietnam, so they were using their, their, uh, the troops that were available. So there was, in my company, I think there was 14 of us that ended up with orders for Vietnam. And what year was this? This was uh, late 1969. Oh, wow. And uh, got orders for there and uh, ended up in Vietnam for most of the year in 70 and just part of 71. Right in the thick of it. And uh, so, actually there was uh, there, and that's when we went into Cambodia also, so I was in Cambodia also. And so tell us about your experiences there. Again, interesting. Uh, I was assigned to, believe it or not, a psychological operations uh, in Vietnam. What does that mean? What do you do in that? What that does is that you are trying to pacify the Vietnamese and make them be on the South Vietnamese side, okay? You were you were actually, uh, we... How do we say this? We politicized the war, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, a long times I talk about this. As far as explaining that, the leaflets, the chew, what they call Chu Hoi leaflets for the Vietnamese to surrender. We got information on those and printed up leaflets, and they dropped them from planes. So you could either make up leaflets, or you were dropping them from the planes or helicopters. Um, you were uh, showing movies to Vietnamese uh uh, villages and and uh, children and 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 uh, just it was a pacification program, basically. Did you feel like it was working? No. No. No, not at all. Yeah. So that yeah. must have felt kind of futile. You yeah, you came to a realization when you were there. You were there for a year trying to get out of there alive, and uh, go home. Yeah, the numbers of people <clears throat> that didn't get out alive is rather stunning. It. Uh, I always say this nicely. Um, the words were, you were wasted for the people who didn't survive. Yeah, and that's really a telling word, isn't it? Yeah. Wasted. Wasted life, wasted dreams, <laughs> wasted hopes. So one of the things that I think I'm right on um, is you were subjected to Agent Orange when you were there. Is that yes. right? So just could you describe... It's a defoliant, and it has long-lasting effects, not just on the crops it was meant to kill to um, interrupt the food chain and to clear the vegetation, but it also has effects on bodies. And could you just tell us a little about that? Prime example of it. Um, Yeah, it was the... Spraying of it, you could see uh, if you any if you use any weed killer. If anybody uses weed killers around here, okay, it it uh, the sun hits it and it just cribbles up the the weeds and kills them. Okay, uh, Agent Orange was a the same thing, but highly the chemical reaction to it was quicker. Uh, you could almost when they sprayed, you could almost see it the leaves just crinkling right then and there. Uh, unfortunately, uh, people were sprayed, and the, the most common thing there was uh, they were spraying for mosquitoes. That <laughs> was a, a, a joke. Oh, gosh. But, Not, uh, it's kind of black humor. I guess you yeah. got into black humor when yeah. you were in this horrible yep. situation. So the 
the effects of it didn't come in till mostly till after everybody got home. All right. Um, the first thing that, that really hit you was uh, what they call chloroacne. I used to have that. What is that? It's uh, as you have, uh, say, a teenager, you have acne. Yeah. Uh, this is chloro is, is based on the sunlight and the chemicals that were hitting you because we barely didn't wear shorts, shirts or, you know, we were yeah. bare-skinned a lot of time. Because it was hot. Hot, right. Yeah. And uh, so the chemicals were, you were either rushing against it or on you. Um, you didn't know it, but it was on you. And the sun hits it, and it uh, acts like acne on your skin, but big, big blots. So your skin just erupted with these with, with, sores. With, with sores, with acne. And they weren't, um, didn't hurt or anything, but it was just that. Um, when I got back and I went, uh, uh, I couldn't go out in the sun. I used to have to have a shirt on all the time when I, come, when I first come home. And I uh, went to my regular doctor, and I said, okay, i got a problem here. And he says, oh, that's chloroacne. He says, uh, here, use a heavier sunscreen on you um, and uh, wear a shirt. I said, oh, okay. Never thought I said, you know, I was in Vietnam. Is that part of that? And he says, nah, you know, don't worry about it. Okay. And I didn't worry about it. They just, you know, used heavier sunscreen and, and wore shirts. Um, that was up until the point when the cancer came. And... Uh, I had a buddy of mine, um, actually, who I met up at Thompson's Lake Campgrounds. Uh, he lived in Gildalyn, and uh, we became friends up at the campsite, and then we, you know, lost track of each other. And I was walking to a hooch one time in Vietnam, and he said, Ed, what? Yeah, who's calling me? What's going on? It was him. <laughs> so <laughs> we ran into each other in Vietnam. Um, he was the first one to get cancer of where we were one, that I knew okay yeah. um, he got it and um, um, got rid of it got so what operations. kind of cancer did you have uh, I'll just say I had cancer okay, okay. Um, and, and I ended up with the same in his and I I, uh, I cured my cancer okay or, so or, where did did you go to the VA for treatment uh, no I didn't okay um, sometimes you go to VA sometimes you don't I you know there was Sometimes you got good treatment. They're getting better, okay? But but uh, there was times where you got good treatment and times where you didn't, so I had my own private doctors uh, take care of it. And at this point, your doctors recognized there was a connection to Agent Orange, or were they still telling you? They were, yes. Actually, the one doctor, when he, when he found out, we were doing the tests, uh, some blood tests, and uh, he said, well, you got something that I want to look at. He said, I'm going to do some more tests the next time. Uh, that you come in in six months. I said, oh, okay, and he mentioned a couple of things because there's a list of, of cancers that, that Agent Orange uh, uh, produced. And I said, well, I said, uh, okay, I said, I want to take a look at it. I said, I got some friends of mine who had cancer from, from Vietnam. He looked at me and says, you were in Vietnam? I said, yes. He says, okay, he's going to be in here next week and we're on for the test versus waiting the six months. And it's when he found the cancers. So how old were you at this point? Oh, I was in my 40s. Okay. So it, t- it takes that long to have that effect on... It, uh, not being a medical person, some, yeah. some acted quicker, some yeah. didn't, didn't yeah. Uh, some took longer. Okay. Um, that was with the cancer. The next was the, uh, uh, my heart. I ended up with, uh, with a heart attack at a young age. Oh my gosh! And supposed to have, uh, not supposed to live through that, 
Oh my goodness! And, so uh, I didn't I didn't know this. Um, how old are you now? Actually, I'll be sixty eight tomorrow. Oh wow! <laughs> You're happy birthday. <laughs> You're a young looking sixty eight. Thank you. So, the heart attack came at what point after the cancer? Yes. Yes. Um, a year or two. I mean, I'm, I had to sit down and pick out the dates now, but it was yeah. probably a year or two afterwards. And uh, I had a heart attack. Thought I had the flu when I was having it, but uh, ended up uh, with triple bypass and some work on a valve. And at that point, um, the government still had not designated the heart or heart problems as being a problem with Agent Orange. So I... To the VA, I filed a complaint, and as did a whole bunch of other people, and they finally came through and, and uh, uh, okayed it uh, as a disability from, from uh, Agent Orange. All right. Um, at uh, to one point with the uh, with the cancer, I was listed as 60% disabled, and then when the heart came through, then I'm, I'm 100% disabled now. But yet, you're so able. <laughs> I mean, you, you well, continue to function. How do you do that? You just go. I mean, it's like, uh, I don't want to lay down and die. I've got a lot of life to live yet. Um, you know, I've got uh, children. I've got uh, grandchildren. I've got great-grandchildren. So. Oh, my gosh. That's exciting. Well, here's a really tough question, and I hesitate to ask it, but I was reading up on Agent Orange, and one of the things that... I found most troubling, actually horrible, was the idea that it could also affect your genes. It isn't just exactly. you, the person that was exposed and has these miserable things, cancer, heart attack. It, it can affect the genes that go into the next generation. Has that happened in your family at all? Or are your kids not, and grandkids all right? Not that I have seen, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I warn other veterans to look for this because I have... Uh, um, one son who was born before I went to Vietnam, I'm not worried about him. The other two sons that I have were born after I came home from Vietnam, so mm-hmm. I have to watch them, and I have a grandson also. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter, uh, it really doesn't, somehow it doesn't affect women. It affects men more so than mm-hmm. than, uh, than women. So um, we're watching them. There's tests once they hit in the 40 range, and I have one son over, well, no, it's before. So I have one son just just over forty now that I'll be after him to get more tests than than normal per se. Yeah, just that's just a, a whole different layer of worry and yes. horror to have it affect what you pass on to future generations. Yeah, there's some there's some conversations now going on in the town that I live with over land and what they're going to do with land and stuff like that, and they don't want a commercial. They want a commercial, and people are worried about what type of commercial. Businesses may go in Knox, and you're saying, oh, the, the contaminations. And I'm sitting back saying, folks, you have no idea. But yeah. you really do have an idea of what contamination can do. Yes. Yeah, gosh. Well, we left you in Vietnam because we followed this very interesting journey with the Agent Orange. But tell us about when you finished your service there. I know there was such a different mentality because there was very active war protests and people who um, unfortunately in my way of thinking kind of conflated the soldiers with the war and did you have when you came home did you feel welcomed or did you feel disrespected or what what was what was your experience there 
it's definitely different than what it is now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you were called names at airports, um, walked away from. Um, and did that happen to you personally? Yes. Yes. So ha- Anybody, any veteran. What you would normally do, as you see many veterans now in their uniforms or their fatigues mm-hmm. on the airports and walking around or whatever, Normally what you did uh, when I got out, you would uh, wear your uniform to get an airline ticket because you were getting reduced rates because you were in the in the service, but you had to be in your uniform to get the reduced rate. Mm-hmm. As soon as you got your ticket, you went into the uh, men's room or wherever, changed clothes, and got in civilian clothes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Isn't that something? Well, so is this part of what inspired? I guess I should just ask an open-ended question. What inspired you? You know, th- through all these years to advocate for veterans, what what motivates you there? It was some experiences that I had that uh, some veterans that I ran across didn't know about, uh, weren't sure how to file for. Even I've, I have things I'm not sure how to file for. So it's a very difficult bureaucratic sort of system to get the benefits that you're entitled to. Is that? I won't say difficult. It's a matter of who's filling out the paperwork. It's like anything else, okay? You have people that are good at what they do and some people who are fair at what they do. Uh So I happened to, when I was filing my paperwork, found a gentleman who was excellent at filling out the scripts and the paperwork and and, uh, followed me through, and it worked out well. So... Um, so that started you on your path of trying to help people with that kind in a of way, in a charm. way, yeah. I don't, you know, I help a, a little bit, but not as much as, as some other people also. Yeah. So, but it, I mean, in terms of this advocating locally for, like, I have here this article we did on. Um, he was really a boy. I don't know how it's Glenn Gilbert. Glenn Gilbert. You know, you went to this trouble. I guess you would call the national headquarters for um, the VFW and exactly. found that people who had died weren't in any way honored and you went out and kind of advocated for here's, this and just tell us a little about that and what motivated that here's what i did we were um i'm a member of the uh, post 7062 here in altamont mm-hmm. and we were in a meeting one time and and uh advocating for new members to come in and stuff like that and i said well i got a problem i said i've got a friend who i knew from from schooling and also he used to work for my father uh, I, is this Glenn? This is Glenn. Yeah. yeah. I said, can I have him as a member? Can we join a member that is, uh, you know, deceased? He was killed in action. <laughs> Here we go with politics. We checked it through, both the Post and, and myself, and the ruling come down that because he could not sign the application, he could not join the VFW. I said, okay, <laughs> I got a slight problem with this. So the uh, the commander at the time, it was Dennis Sear, uh, said, okay, let's see what we can do, what else we can do. I said, all right, let me, uh, let me look at what we can do. And I said, okay, let's make a plaque. So he put the plaque together, and I said, he can't be the only one. They got killed in action. So we uh, went through the area and found out uh, young gentlemen that, that were uh, killed in action, and they, uh, they are named on the plaque also. And as each and nowadays, as uh, unfortunately, if someone um, does get killed in action, um, they are added to the plaque. So there's a place in their hometown where they're honored. Exactly, and it's it a plaque carries that carries on in the organization. It's a plaque that we never want to fill, but 
but uh, it's there. So, now what got you interested in advocating for the tax breaks? And you really went about it. I remember one Bern Knox Westerlow board meeting, you had a whole slew of veterans there yes. um, to you know, look the board members in the eye. What, what got you interested in that? It, it's actually, as I used, as I used to explain to the, uh, to the board members, both the, the town and the, uh, and the school, it's an earned right, okay? As when we were going into the service, you're saying, okay, you get tax breaks, you get medical treatment, you know, basically for the rest of your life. And um, uh, I got looking at it, and I said, well, we don't, we don't have any tax breaks, and here's what we can. I checked into it, and I said, here's what we can have available to us. So me and another gentleman started uh, pursuing the school district, and uh, um, finally... Um, how do I say? I don't want to say one, but we got almost our full capacity of the rights that uh, that we should have. Right, because the, the concern was in such a cash-strapped district with such a small population, it would be transferring the burden to other people. Exactly. So, yes. yeah. yeah, as I get a break, it goes on to somebody else. Right. right. I have I have a certain amount of land that I get that that is farmed and. My tax break for my farm exemption was higher than my veteran's exemption. <laughs> okay. And I found that a little bit misleading. Yeah, I can see. Well, and another thing, I think you took advantage of the program where um, if you left to serve, which you certainly did, um, that you could get your high school diploma at a later date. <laughs> and you, you got your high school diploma from Bern Knox Westerlow. I forget what year it was, but... Um, Rather it, recently, so tell us what that experience was like. Interesting story. It was uh, I was actually on the school board uh-huh. at the time, and uh, Steve Schrady was the uh, superintendent at the time, and we had a veteran that was getting a diploma. Um, at that time, he was a veteran and, and uh, getting a diploma because he had left school and, and gone to service. So as we're giving it to him, and I said to Steve, I said, yeah, I can get one of those too. He says, well, bring in your discharge, and you know, I'll make one up. And I said, ah. We'll see. I said, maybe next year. Because what I wanted to do, right, and I'll explain it, I said, I waited the year because it was a rotating basis on who would become the president of the board. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we waited until a time when I was actually president of the board, and he brought in a diploma, so I got to sign my own diploma as the president <laughs> of the school board. I don't know of anybody else who has done that. No, I don't either. That's pretty cool. I'd forgotten that detail. Well, um, so as you look back now, with the perspective of how many decades, probably four. Five. Five, okay. Right on five now. um, Vietnam experience. What, What are your thoughts? What would you like people to know about about that service? especially with its horrible, lasting effects for you. As I understand it, you're facing surgery next month again, too. Is that right? Yes, I am. I'm not so sure that that's related to, yeah, okay. to the Agent well, So what, what are your thoughts as you take that long look back? Um, I was at a, at a, uh, a gathering, um, basically a dinner at the uh, local American Legion post, the Helderberg post here in Altamont. Mm-hmm. And um, there was another gentleman who was from out of the area. He was actually from Broad Albany, and we were sitting there talking. And there was a group of people 
rah, 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 and stuff like that. And uh, um, kind of trying to build up everybody's veterans the way it is now. In other words, everybody is happy to see the veterans where it wasn't that way when we got back from Vietnam. And he's a Vietnam veteran also. And he looked at me and he turned around and he goes, you know, it's too late. And I said, well, yeah, it's late. That treatment that you got 40 and 50 years ago, okay, never leaves you. All right. Is it nice to see the veterans welcomed and and, uh, treated nicely? Yeah, it's fantastic. Okay. Um, And he's... He's true. He was true to a certain extent. Where yeah, it's too late. It, it, it's that hurt still there. So tell us about that hurt. How how do you deal with that hurt? Um... You you forget it. You you I don't say you forget it. You bypass it. All right. Um, I'll give you two in, or three instances. When I got to, when I got discharged, okay, first in California, and I wore my uniform all the way back. I had a uh, a flight from. Oakland to uh, Chicago, um, guaranteed. And I was on standby from Chicago to Albany. I get to Chicago, and I've been up for a couple of days. You know, I'm getting discharged. I'm going home. I'm happy, you know, everything else. So I said, ah, I've been here for a couple of days, or up for a couple of days. It's time for a beer. And I walked into uh, one of the wings in O'Hara, and I walked in a bar, and I'm in uniform. And I'm not loaded with metal, but I had a few. And uh, said so the bartender, I said, let me have a beer. He looked at me and said, hold are you? I never give it a thought. I said, 20, because I had gone in early. On Chicago, or Illinois, was always 21. Oh, my goodness. He said, I can't serve you. And I've been all over the world. Yeah. I've drank all over the world, okay? <laughs> and done, done many different things. Okay? to have been fighting as, as certainly a man and then not to be able to, yeah. We, uh, we were having uh, quite a... Quite a uh, discussion about it i'll put it that way mm-hmm. and the uh chicago police came and kind of calmed us down yeah it got heavy i was oh, i was a little yeah. more violent in those days Gosh. and uh put me on the plane i was no longer standby on the plane on the, the plane to albany so yeah. which was fine that worked as soon as i got up in the air i could have a beer i got to uh i got to uh, albany and i said well i need a car now it's february i'm tanned like there's no tomorrow from from being in uh, Asia. And uh, I don't forget, I walk into uh, what used to be Marsh Hallman's Chevrolet, where DePaul is now. I looked around as there as is file. I, I got cash money from being discharged and stuff. I walked to the salesman. I said, okay, item number, car number, such and such. How much you want for it? I said, I ain't got time to wheel and deal. How much you want for it? I got to go find a job. He gives me a price. I said, all right, I'll take it. He looks at me. He says, how old are you? Didn't give it a thought. I said, 20. At that time, you needed to be 21 to sign a contract to buy a car. You could buy one privately, but you could not buy a car from a dealer unless you were 21. We need your parents' signature. Uh, We had a discussion about that. Albany police came and said, son, you can't be doing this. I said, okay. Um, I'm hot. I'm I'm mad, upset. I'm going to hitchhike, catch a bus, do whatever I have to do to get down to Schenectady, go and see Sam Stratton and raise Holy Kane. I got halfway up to Westgate Shopping Center walking and just trying to calm myself down. And I got thinking, Ed, you're not even old enough to vote yet. I'm going to turn around and go home. <laughs> oh, 
gosh, that is not a happy story. No. So, did would you say you had an anger management problem when you got out of the service? I, I mean, police in Chicago, police in Albany, just was it such a transition? I think a lot of soldiers go through to be in a place where you're fearing for your life every day, and then suddenly. Uh, <laughs> you're back home with no transitional help. I, I won't say it was anger management, but I will say it's reactionary. Yeah. You're, you were more reactionary. You were trained to react. Yeah. Okay, not to, you know, I mean, there was situations, boom, this happened, you react to it this way. Right. So. Well, you mentioned in the Chicago store you had a couple medals. Tell us about those. What were they for? Just your normal, you know, Vietnam service, Vietnam, this, I got... One purple heart for some shrapnel that that got me, and and uh, and where uh, can you describe that? How that event unfolded? Um, <laughs> yeah, we were at my our uh, real home base camp versus the, the fire bases was uh, next to uh, uh, Benoit Airport, and they were trying to hit the runway with some rockets, and we were along the, the uh, runway or just off of it, and a rocket fell short, and I caught some shrapnel off the rocket. That's all. And where did it hit you? In my leg. <sighs> well, I'm glad you made it home safely. And I wonder if you have any advice for our listeners. We're closing down our half hour that went too quickly. Just either about service to the country or about the need to respect that. Whatever closing thoughts are important to you, I'll just leave it there. I'll, I'll say this. In that, in the service, and to young people or middle-aged people, whatever, the service is a great training area. Okay, probably, I forget the exact number, but it's probably 80 or 85 percent of the people in the services are there for support for the actual fighting people, and it's a great education. Okay, whether you're in the colleges or whether you're just going for training, whatever, it's it's a great education for a job when you get out of the service or to stay in the service with. All right. Um, but it comes with a really heavy burden. You might get killed, and you might have to kill, right? That's something... You can get killed going down the road in a car. I guess so. You had another thought I interrupted. <laughs> and I forgot what it was. Okay. It was... Uh, no, again, it's a great training area. Oh, the uh, the other thought was for the people who have not looked for the services that are available to them, okay, uh, when they do get out of the service, okay. There are service officers at the VA hospital. There are service officers at the VFW here locally and also uh, any national VFW or American Legion. There are also service officers there that will help with any problems and guide along the way, okay. I'll give you one quick uh, instance I've got a motorhome that needed to be towed. Right? Tow truck driver showed up. And we're going through things. We got talking. He was of my age and uh, got talking about how he had cancer in one portion and how he has cancer in another area in his body. And I asked him, I said, were you in the service? He says, yeah. I said, where'd you go? I said, I was in Nam. I said, bingo. I said, let's go. And I'm still, we're still making arrangements for him to go down to VA to get so treated. So he hadn't realized the connection? Not at all. That's the thing, you know, getting out the word on that. As yes. I was reading up on Agent Orange, I mean, it's a lifetime effect on you. It is. And it's just, 
insidious because it isn't something like getting shrapnel or you know you're hit yeah. and you know you need to fix the wound and it heals and hope you're better. It's something that's... This can go on, like I said, as we talked earlier, uh, both of my sons and, and uh, possibly my grandchildren. I don't know. Because after the effects were known, there were UN, United Nations um, directives on that kind of warfare. I mean, do you have any thoughts on current warfare and, and the kinds of things that young people are experiencing now? How do you control a war? You really can't control a war. People are you're, in a war. You're there. Either you're there to train somebody to kill somebody or and win a certain objective. Uh, or you're there to support somebody to do that. Yeah. Well, um, Vietnam was the start of this first kind of war that we have now where civilians are in the crossfire. It's not like you're out in a separate battlefield. And here you were with this psychological aspect trying to convince civilians. It, it just... It, it doesn't seem as clean to an outside observer as like having soldiers in a battlefield fighting each other to be in the midst of, well, of the... Well, yes and no, because civilians got, got in, I don't want to say in the way, but were affected through any war. I mean, uh, World War II. I mean, the bombings of cities and sure. and yeah. stuff. I mean, yeah. you, you, you have your civilians there. That, that's... Yeah. Um, well, when you look back at Vietnam now, I mean, did you feel, even when you were there, as the protests were going on, that it was the right fight or did it feel as you said like you wanted just to get out and not be wasted you really didn't you really didn't get involved that much in the politics it wasn't yeah. it was you were there for for a job that's mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. Uh, here here was your duty and, and you did your duty and and uh, go home um when kent state happened um when we were going to cambodia um, there was pictures in the Stars and Stripes magazine, which is the basically the military magazine mm-hmm. or newspaper. And uh, I remember seeing the uh, the uh, one young lady uh, on her knees over a gentleman who got killed, okay, and looking up with her hands up. And we're going, what the heck is going on in the country? Why you know we're we're fighting here? Why are they why are they shooting people at, at home? What's going on? You know, and we didn't know. Yeah, that must have been chilling. It was confusing confusing i keep trying to close out this interview but you have so many fascinating things to say we're over our time mark let's have the actual final word from ed Aykroyd. wow (laughs) (laughs) what can i say final i you know i'm a salesman from way back i can keep on going and going yeah well you're good um no, I hope I hope some people get some get some uh, some enjoyment out of this this conversation and uh, maybe some uh, experiences or some facts. Uh, um, by all means, uh, let me let me give you one other thing. We have uh, banners going up in next year in in town of Knox. Uh, These are even, hometown hero banners? hometown hero banners. Yes, and, and they've been going around different places and stuff. And like you'd that. work to get certain roads named in honor of those who had been killed. Too. Yes, I have. Yeah. Yes, I have. So that's a permanent remembrance. Yes, that's. So what do those banners do? How does well, the that... banners are just a realization for the again for the community that here's here's uh, um, uh, the veterans that were in in that grew up in a town or lived in a town at one time, and we're and I'm kind of trying to figure out. Okay, let's see how many veterans we actually have in the town of, and I'm going to say Knox. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I called the tax assessor and I said, "Who? How many are taking a tax exemption as veterans?" He said, "122." 
Nobody had an idea. That's a lot for a small town. I think the towns are equal around. I'm not sure, yeah. but it's something that can be found out. Just yeah. just through exemption, there's probably many people who are not taking exemptions who are also veterans. Right. Now, these are people that can be reached out, that can be part of the, the, the VFW organization, the American Legion organization, all the way down through. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, if they need help, don't need help, whatever, or they can help other people. Um, that'd be a great, uh, great portion of uh, helping the community. So it's kind of a band of brothers and I guess now sisters that, that can yes. continue on yep. with those kinds of work. And it's a great, between both organizations, there's a great amount that they do for the community, not just themselves, but for the community. Uh, there's donations. Uh, um, monetary-wise, um, both for communities and veterans organization um, that are done monthly that many people don't even realize what's going on. Well, we do now. Thank you, Ed Aykroyd. I salute you. Thank you.